So thank you, Tools and the Band, for worshiping this morning and for doing it faithfully throughout the year. And for all those people that have served in the background, they call it in the army the rear echelon. They are the, the team that actually feeds the fighters. And you very often see the people that are in frontline positions. But what about all those people that make the coffee, that open up, that clean up, that lock up? They are as important. And so for everybody that has served throughout the year, whether you've done it in your life group, whatever you have done, we really want to honor you and thank you for staying at your post, for being strong, for holding ground, and for bringing water. Thank you, Move. I need a glass of water, mouthful. So I'd like us to look at a couple of things this morning, and um, I'm going to look at being grateful for the year that's passed and being prepared for the year ahead. That's what I'd like us to look at. But before I do that, I want to, look, I want to lay a little bit of a foundation and something that Francois said a few weeks ago, he preached a message, and he spoke about the assurance that the Bible is the Word of God and that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And honestly, if you don't believe what's written in here, it can really shake you. Because the moment that another voice comes along, you, you wonder if the Word of God is true. And it can shake your faith. And I've recently know somebody that has, his faith has been shaken. And so what he has said, somebody said, no, the Word of God says this. And his comeback was, what is the Word of God? How do you know that this is the Word of God? And it's a very good question. And if you don't know the answer, then your faith can be shaken when you are facing a, tr a trial or a tribulation or somebody comes with an argument contrary to that. And France really addressed that, that well. And he spoke about the prophecies. And there in the Bible are over 300 prophecies pointing to the arrival of the Savior, hundreds of years before it happened. And that's one of the keys that we know that this is the Word of God, that, that all these prophecies which were written up to 250 years, up to 1,000 years before Jesus arrived, that they pointed to this arrival of the Savior. And over 300 of them all pointed to the same event. And that, for me, is, is such an important um, point. If you, post a mess, if you post a letter to the other side of the world and you write on it, first of all, you write the country. The moment you write that country, it excludes all the other nations of the world. Then you write the city or the province. And you, the moment you write that, it excludes all the other cities around. And then you write the, the, the um, suburb. And then you write the street. And then you write the number of the street, and then you put the person's name on that letter. That letter, once it's gone past the post office, will go all the way <laughs> to that person and eventually hold that letter. And that's the same thing that all these prophecies did. One by one, they pointed towards one person in the history of the world. They pointed towards Jesus the Savior. And when somebody stands and takes all the prophecies, if you look at a couple of them, you might think, well, it could have been that person or that person. But as you look at more and more of them, they all line up and they point towards Jesus, the Savior. Amen. And on top of that, where there were these disciples. You followed him for three years. They, they followed him right up to his arrest and, and crucifixion. And we know that Peter went right there and denied him at the last moment. But where were the other disciples? They had left before that. I believe John was there with him. But something happened 
that made all these disciples who were afraid, as we would have been, honestly, if we were following this one guy, we didn't have the word of God to stand on, the New Testament wasn't written there, we weren't sure what was going to happen, we would have run away too, I'm sure many of us would have, most of us would have. Um, And so these guys that had fled suddenly returned, something happened and they returned and they said we are ready to be martyred for Christ. They had seen Jesus die and now they saw this resurrection. And so they knew that Jesus was who he said he was. And I think that that is quite concrete proof for me. You might say, oh, but what if they lied? I mean, who would die for a lie? And many people do die for a lie, but not if you know that it's a lie. Not if you know at the last minute, no, 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 oh, hold on, guys. We were just, we were lying. We weren't telling the truth. Let me go. No, they, they went right to their grave. The 18th century philosopher and critic of Christianity, Voltaire, he said, within 100 years, the Bible will be obsolete and will have gone out of circulation altogether. And yet 100 years later, the Bible is more popular than ever. In fact, when they put out the bestseller lists every year, they exclude the Bible from that list because every year, year after year after year, it is number one. Josh used to work at Gospel Direct, and he said it's the most stolen book they had then. Apparently, the most stolen book in the world. How does that work? When you hear these attacks on the Bible, remember that it's nothing new. That in spite of all these attacks, the Bible has survived, and so has the church. You know why the church has survived? Because the church is the bride of Christ, and Jesus loves his bride, and so she will survive. Psalm 119, verse 89 to 90 from the message says, What you say goes and stays as permanent as the heavens. Your truth never goes out of fashion. It's as up-to-date as the earth when the sun comes up. Your word and truth are dependable as ever. And I believe that for us to go into 2024, it's a good place to start knowing that this is a sure foundation for us to build our lives on, to make our decisions by, to give counsel by, to love our families by, to bring up your kids by, to run your job by, whatever you do, this is a good foundation. Amen. I recently watched this video of this professor who was an atheist, a lady, and she had given, been given her, given her life to the Lord after being challenged by some friends. And she, she worked with these people and they were believers and they said they nagged her week after week, please come to church with us. Please come to church with us. And she said, I'm not going. And I'm telling you for the last time, just stop nagging me now. I'm not going. So one day they said to her, okay, I'll tell you what. Why don't you just read the book of Proverbs? There's some good wisdom there because she wanted to see wisdom. So they said, read the book of Proverbs. She said, that's easy, 31 chapters, one a day. I can do that. It'll take me a month. She did that and she suddenly realized how practical and wise the word of God is. And through that, gave a life to the Lord. You see, there's practical wisdom in here, but not just wisdom as we know it in the world, it is alive and it is powerful and it will change your life. Amen. Are you all good? So as we look at these two things, I said I'm going to talk about being grateful for the year past and preparing for the year ahead. And some of you may look at the year past and be glad that the year is done. Others may think, oh, I hope we have another year like that. And it's quite wide. You can talk to business people. They'll say it's been a difficult year. We've really struggled. Others will say it's been an amazing year. 
the Lord has blessed us. And whatever it might be, there's practical advice in God's word. I think that one of the things we need to do, though, is to be grateful, is to be grateful for it. Everybody faces tough times. Somebody said that tough times, tough people last, tough times don't. So we need to be tough. John Maxwell says this, life is a series of problems to be solved. The wrong perspective is to think that problems are not part of everyday life. The wrong perspective is to think that problems are not part of everyday life. Every day you're going to face problems. And you know what? If you see that every problem is a trial, it will change your perspective. If you are faced with a situation that you know, hold on a second, this is actually a test. It will change how you act because you want to pass that test. So a few years ago, there's a guy by the name of Richard Branson. You may have heard of him. Have you heard of him? Richard Branson. I must just tell the gentleman with the long beard there, I loved your worship. It is contagious. Well done. Did you love it, Tools? You didn't see him. (laughs) He looks like Jesus. (laughs) So Richard Branson had this this reality TV program, and he was going to hire somebody to work in his company at the end of it. And what he did is he, he organized that they would be in a hotel and at the end of the, at, at, and there would be a studio where it would be recorded live and they had to make their way from the hotel to the studio and there would be a car that would come and pick them up. But what they didn't know is that the whole journey was being secretly filmed of them going from the, the hotel to the studio. And what happened was he arranged for somebody to walk in their path, an older person that would walk in their path and that person would bump into them and they would drop all their papers they were carrying on the floor. And then they filmed to watch the person's reaction. And when they got to the studio, they played the video back. And that determined whether the person got hired or not. Some people, get out of my way, I'm in a hurry, and just left them there, got in the car, and off they went. And others, listen, I'm running late, but um, let me help you quickly and pick up your papers. Now, all that was shown on the screen in the studio to the embarrassment or wonder of the person, happiness of the person that, that had formed it. And I believe that if we face trials like that, I believe the Lord is testing us in different things. And unless we pass the test, you know what? You're going to have to do it again and again and again. The Lord is not like some systems that just push you through. <laughs> you can't get pushed through. Amen? We need to pass these tests. And I think that it's a great starting point if we start off 2024 and decide, I'm going to pass these tests. When I'm faced with something difficult, I'm going to go to the Lord. I'm going to trust Him to deliver me from that situation. I'm going to come out with a smile on my face. Amen. So have you learned from your problems, or do you still throw your toys out the cot when something goes wrong? Because there are many times that we can grow older, but we don't mature in our faith. And like a child who has a tantrum, we are the same. We get angry, and we throw our toys out the, out the cot, and what is hidden in our heart comes out of our mouth, and it's not good. Psalm 103 says this, that we are to give praise, we give thanks in all situations. Psalm 103 verse 1, Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart I will praise His holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things He does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love 
and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. So great to count our blessings, to remember the good things that the Lord has done. How many times do we forget that He's forgiven us of every sin? Can you imagine if the shameful things that you have done suddenly came up on the screen? I mean, it would be terrible. I've done things that I'm just so ashamed of. And I don't know how I could have done those things. And we've all done those things. And this beautiful, beautiful Savior of us, of ours, has taken them and washed them away as far as the east is from the west, given us that clean slate. Be grateful for that and for everything else that happens. I googled this. What does gratitude do? It lowers your stress and anxiety levels. It improves your mental health. It enhances relationships. It increases resilience. It improves your physical health and shifts your perspective. Isn't that great? All good reasons to be grateful and to have gratitude. So it's actually good for you to have gratitude. And so let's be grateful for the year that's gone past. And what we go through in the new year, let's be grateful for them. Amen. Are you all with me? All awake. Preparation for the new year. So God works in seasons. I think Kelsey may have mentioned it, that the Lord works in seasons. And um, he said there's four things in the book of Deuteronomy. There's four things that will remain as long as the earth is here. Summer and winter, hot and cold, day and night, sowing and reaping. Four things that will remain. Sowing and reaping is talking about seasons. We are always preparing for the season ahead. Not just living for today, but preparing, not worrying, but preparing for the season ahead. Many times we worry about things that never happen. If we would just take those things to the Lord in prayer, the future would be different and we wouldn't be burnt out worrying. A good farmer knows about planting seed. I remember a few years ago we went to a wedding. It was up in Wienan. It's in KZN. I don't know where it is right now. <laughs> um, but we stayed on this farm with this farmer and he took us to show us around his farm. You know, farmers love to do that. Come and have a look at the farm. And um, he, had, um, he was quite a wealthy farmer. And he took us to this warehouse. And it was, it, was, it was huge. Maybe it was bigger than this whole church. And in that farm were bags of potatoes. And they were stacked about three high. This whole warehouse just packed with potatoes. And I thought to myself, well, these potatoes, if you sell all these potatoes... They must be worth a fortune. And he said to me, these potatoes are not for sale. These are all seed. Every one of these is seed. And I thought, can you imagine what's being sold if this is seed? Amen? So we need to prepare. Be, be, remember that there's a season ahead. And remember to sow seed for that season, whatever it might be. It might be a kind word. It might be financial. Whatever it might be. Keep on sowing. Keep preparing for that new season, especially as we go into this new year. Be ready to sow. And you might say, listen, I cannot afford to give. Well, in the old charismatic way, you cannot afford not to give. This friend of mine, he's the pastor of a church up in Whitbank. One of his guys came to him one day and said to him, Pastor, you know what? I cannot afford to tithe. So he said to the, he said to the guy, he said, I'll tell you what. Pay your tithe, and if towards the end of the month you're running short... Let me know, I'll give you your tithe back. So the guy said, okay, it's a deal, I'll do that. So he said, you trust me more than you trust the Lord. 
So this past week has been spent, um, um, I've been preparing for today. <laughs> Chris, uh, Chris has been cutting down trees and trimming branches, and Mike has been tidying, and, and um, everybody who's been here has been preparing. We're preparing for the new season, throwing out old stuff, getting stuff ready that um, we are prepared for what God wants to do in the year ahead. So as I said earlier, the Bible contains some really practical advice, and we need that practical advice for the year ahead, and it's good to have that practical advice. But I want to say this morning that we cannot just approach the, 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 the year practically. We need faith. We need, to, we need to have this practical faith that we do something that's different to the world. Believers need to have faith. What is faith? Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So something happening that we cannot see with our natural eye, but we hope for. It changes our actions if we really believe it. So if we really believe that something is going to happen, we do something different, trusting for it. If you know that a loved one is um, arriving at the airport this afternoon, you go there and you stand at the gate. You haven't seen the plane. You're just going on their word that the plane is coming and they will land and you will see them again. And we do the same. The Lord has given us promises. We don't know how it's going to happen, but we, we see it come to pass in our lives. And I'm sure there are many, many testimonies here, and I've got many testimonies how the Lord has miraculously provided for us and blessed us and changed our futures because of His goodness and because we've trusted Him. Faith changes your behavior. Nicky Gumbel tells a story about a man traveling through Sicily. He came upon this villa with a beautiful English garden, and it was known as the English Garden of Palermo. Um, Matt, I saw this at your house. You'll remember it, Matt. <laughs> it was a beautifully manicured garden, and every part of it perfect. He noticed the gardener working in a corner, and he got into a conversation with him. And he asked him, how long have you worked here? The gardener answered, I've worked here for 40 years. He asked, well, is the owner around? The gardener said, no, but he'll be back. The man asked, when will he be back? He said, I don't know. The traveler was interested. Well, how long has it been since you last saw him? He said, I've never seen him. So you've worked here for 40 years and you've kept the place immaculate, almost like he's coming tomorrow. Not tomorrow, sir, today, any moment. Be prepared. Be prepared. Prepare in your heart. Prepare all that you can for Jesus. We need to be expectant. The early church was expectant for Christ's return. And we, 2,000 years ago, need to be as expectant, trusting that we are living to please Him, living according to His word and according to His will, not living like the world would want us to, not doubting the word of God. Many people have shipwrecked their faith by not trusting the word of God. There's a, there's a saying, when all else fails, read the instructions. Well, I want to say this. Before anything else fails, read the instructions. Somebody said the word Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. Amen. <laughs> so to help us prepare for the new year, I'd like us to look at the different ways that God works on the earth. And I'm going to look at three of those ways. I was going to say that he works in three ways, but he works in many ways. I'm going to look at three of those ways that the Lord works on this earth. And the first one 
is by his desire, by his plan, or by his purpose, something that will come to pass and we have no control over it. He's going to do something like we, before man was around, he created the earth by his will. He, he had determined that this was going to happen at this time and he did it. And that's one of the things. The second one is by his desire, he has a desire for something, but we, through unbelief, we mess up the plan. Or we enjoy the plan by our faith. And the third one, the third way, is by our desire. So the first two are by his desire. third one is by our desire for a certain outcome in a situation, trusting God that we will find favor with him and he will bless that plan. You got it? By his desire that we can't mess up. By his desire that we can mess up. <laughs> and by our desire that we want his blessing. So the first one, by his desire, plan, or purpose. And there are lots of instances in the Bible through prophecies in the Old Testament and even in the New that God declares something and then we see it come to pass. We see it declared each time that something's going to happen and then it comes to pass. And sometimes in these situations, God has to remove the things that would be a negative so that they don't influence the outcome. We kind of see this at, I believe, at the city of Jericho, the Israelites cross the, the Jordan River, and the first time they come to is Jericho, and he tells them to march around ten t- uh, six times, or once, every, once a day for six days, and he tells them not to say a word, not to say a word at what they see, or anything, because you know what they would have done. Somebody would have said, you know, look how big these walls are, look at how wide they are, look how strong they are. We're not, we can't, we can't. So, and he'd been through that narrative before the 12 spies, remember. So he said, this time, be quiet. So I believe that's one of the places. And we also see it with the arrival of, of John the Baptist and Jesus. The archangel Gabriel appears to Zachariah and Mary, different times. And he has this incredible announcement for each of them. We know the story. Zachariah doesn't believe the word. Mary does. What does the angel do to Zechariah? He says to him, because of your unbelief, you won't be able to speak until the baby's born. So he loses his voice. And I think sometimes the Lord needs to take our voice away. Or sometimes you know that you're talking to somebody and what they're saying is absolute negativity and you want to say to them, I just wish you would be quiet, but you say it differently. You want to say it differently. (laughs) And Mary believed and she was called blessed. And so this is a situation where we see the Lord remove anything from from the the top, from the the plan that would derail his plan. And um, I was wondering if the way that we are speaking can derail God's plan in any way. And you wonder why you've been removed from a situation because maybe... We were the negative voice. And, and it happens so subtly. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that just now. But we need to be so careful that we are not doing something that would derail God's plan. Otherwise, he has to remove us from that. So we see Mary and Joseph. They had complete faith and obedience for God's plan. First, the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and said to him, Listen, it's fine for you to marry Mary. I mean, can you imagine this whole story? You had to have serious faith to believe that this fiancé of yours is pregnant from a heavenly father and trust that she saw an angel and 
had truly found favor with the Lord. In fact, the angel had to appear to him and say to him, listen, Joseph, it's fine for you to marry her. I always wonder, though, about that narrative when Mary went to tell her parents. You're right. (laughs) I found favor with the Lord. Wonderful. I'm pregnant. After the birth, when Herod started killing the babies, they obeyed the message again in a dream, and they fled to Egypt. I mean, the whole narrative, they would have known the Old Testament that the people of, of Israel came out of Egypt. He had delivered them. Now they were being told to go back there. I mean, it must have, there must have been a turmoil, but what did they do? What did they do? It was just absolute obedience. And I think it's such a picture for us that we would be obedient to our Heavenly Father. And as we face 2024, are we in tune with the voice of God? Are we in tune with the voice of God and that we will obey that voice at a moment's notice? You know, I believe that we need to spend time listening to God's voice, hearing His voice. Lord, what are you saying that we can, we can start to, to recognize that voice? You know, if, if I arrive home, uh, you, many of you might know we um, live in a home with Josh and Munn, not the same house, we've got two separate homes, and if I come in and I speak and Cooper's at our side, our grandson, he's three years old, if I say anything, he'll say, Grandpa's home. How, will he, how does he know? He recognizes my voice. If somebody else had to go there and use the same words that I use, he would say, no, that's not grandpa. You cannot fool him. We need to recognize God's voice. And that happens by spending time in his word. That happens by praying. When something, when a voice comes to you, to to be able to say, that is the voice of the Lord. That's the voice of the Lord. I recognize it. Lines up with the word of God. I can be obedient to it. Not going to happen when you are faced with turmoil and at a moment's notice, there's a voice. But whose voice is it? We have to recognize that voice. That means that we have to learn it. Everybody happy? It's quiet. Secondly, other things are prophesied and there's a chance that man can mess up the the plan. Like the the spies, Grant Askham, who preached a few weeks ago, he said that he was quoting from Exodus chapter 12, approximately approximately 600,000 men excluding women and children, left Egypt, and only two of them made it to the promised land. That is scary. Only two of them made it, Joshua and Caleb. Classic example of man messing up God's plan. How many times, and I ask myself this question, Lord, how many times have I messed up your plan? Because I didn't believe. I didn't trust that you would do what you said you would. I I couldn't grasp it. And so we shipwreck God's plan because we were distracted or doubtful or just plain disobedient. I think I've done it many times. I'm sure many of us have. But you know what? You can't go back and rectify those things. We can move forward, though, and start again and do better. Many times we know God's promises in His Word, and we will encourage others with those same promises, but we don't really believe them ourselves. And we lose out instead of risking something and maybe stretching our faith a bit. You know, faith is like exercise. You have, to, you have to use it to stretch it. Then thirdly, there are times when God invites us to tell Him our plans, and He will bless them that they may come to pass. 
Proverbs 16, verse 3. Commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. It's a beautiful promise that God has for us, that he allows us to have our own free will and to come as a child and sit on the Father's lap, and he said, what are your desires? What are your plans? And we can tell them, tell him, and he will bless those plans and see them come to pass. Isn't that wonderful? But you know what? Many times we can't even believe it because it's so good. I mean, if you think about the gospel story, that we as sinners could hand all our sin and all our wickedness and everything we've done wrong onto somebody else who was innocent, and they would take our place. That is just, it's, it's mind-blowing. I mean, how can we believe that? That is the good news. It's the gospel story. God has given us these two things as people who live on this earth. He's given us more than two things, but faith and prayer. I mean, two, be- two beautiful things that we can have faith for something to happen. And as we exercise that faith, so it grows stronger and stronger and we can believe and trust for more and more and more. And then there's prayer, a beautiful thing that we can commune with our Father. We can just open our mouth at any time of the day. He's never too busy to listen. He's always there, his ears attentive to our prayer. I believe that is just absolutely beautiful. Remember the story with Abraham? Um, The Lord told him that he was going to destroy Sodom. Now Lot was living there, and the Bible says that Lot was a righteous man. So he was a righteous man, but he wasn't in tune with God's plan. Abraham was there in tune with God's plan, and he starts negotiating with the creator of the universe about the destruction of a city. It's so wicked. Abraham says, what if you find 50 righteous people? Will you still destroy it if there are 50 righteous people? And the Lord says, no, I won't. If there's 50 righteous, I'll save it. And he says, "Ah, what if there's 45? And he said, I'll save it for 45. What about 40? They go all the way down to 10, and there's only eight, and the city is destroyed. Sad, hey? But the, the, the story here is that the Lord allows Abraham into the plan, and I believe that he'll allow us into the plan if we have faith for it and can, can trust him, that um, we, he can trust us, that we are trustworthy to, to what he is saying. Amen? I believe that this year, 2024, we need to have bigger dreams. And we've heard this before. And I'm not talking about something stupid, but I'm talking about godly dreams. A guy, um, I was reading his book recently, and um, what he did, he, he found the Operation World Book, and he determined in his heart that every day he would pray for a different nation. And I thought, that is amazing. Because many times, we're just praying for our own needs. And somebody said this once, if the Lord suddenly, at a moment's notice, said, okay, I'm going to grant all your your prayers, every prayer that you've prayed, I'm going to say yes to right now. Would the whole world be different, or just your world? And I'm shocked to say, probably my world, and maybe a few nations. (laughs) But I just think, you know, we can have bigger dreams. Let's start praying for more nations. I love that in the prayer meeting, we've been praying for different nations, praying for different guys who are serving the Lord in different parts of the world. They need our prayers. Paul says it many times in the New Testament, 
we are praying for you, we are praying for you, we are praying for you. And we need to be continuing with that and doing that. Because after all, what is God's plan for those people? His plan is for them to be blessed and to succeed in what he's called them to. And we need to be praying for them. Amos 3 verse 7. Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants. I believe that as, a, as believers, we can be that prophetic voice. If we are in tune with him, we can, we can walk closer with the Lord and speak his word into situations. We will know his will and we'll know his plan for our lives and we'll know his plans for other people's lives. And we can go to them and say, listen, I believe that the Lord is saying this to you. I believe the Lord wants you to do this. Hear that. If somebody says that to you, we need to evaluate that word, but don't just discount it. Don't just discount it. Are you with me? So we can have a prophetic voice and we can encourage others and we can also warn them. And many times we do that, but many times people are not teachable and they don't want the warning. They want the encouragement, but not the warning. And it's difficult to say to somebody, listen, you're walking too close to the edge. <laughs> just move away from the edge. You have to, um, you have to batter up the situation first. And make them feel amazing, and then you can give them the word, and then you do counseling afterwards. <laughs> Paul says this in, in the second letter to Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 11. We constantly pray that you, for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed your every deed prompted by faith. So Paul is praying for these people that the Lord would bring to fruition what these believers are desiring for, their deeds that, that are prompted by faith. Somebody else is praying that that will, will succeed. I think it's just absolutely beautiful. Amos 3 verse 3 says, How can two people walk together unless they are in agreement? Many times we are walking with the Lord but we're not in agreement. And I think that it must just frustrate Jesus. <laughs> I don't think he gets frustrated with us. I think he's merciful and kind. But if somebody is walking with you all the time that is contradicting everything you say, how does it feel? Terrible. One person says one thing and the other says something else. Imagine you're walking with Jesus and he says one thing and you say something else. He says, be generous. I'll provide for you. And you say, if I'm generous, I'll go with that. He says, be quick to forgive. And you say, if, forgive, if I forgive, I'll be taken advantage of again. He says, be kind with your words. You say, if I'm kind with my words, I won't be taken seriously. He says, spend some time with me, reading the word and praying. And we say, I don't have time. He says, you're going to make it. And we grumble. I think that one of the biggest problems that we have today is grumbling. I must just share this quickly. Bruce, where's Bruce? Bruce. Where is he? Bruce Malemfi. Oh, there he is there. He shares this word every single day faithfully on the business prayer group. And well done for doing that, Bruce. And yesterday he shared this scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 31. You saw how the Lord your God cared for you all along the way as you traveled through the wilderness, just as a father cares for his child. It's a beautiful scripture, and I think that we need to take those scriptures to heart, highlight them in your Bible, and stand on them and believe them, that he's a good God and he wants you to succeed. 
Amen? But verse 34 says this, When the Lord heard your complaining, He became very angry. Grumbling. It's a way of life for many of us. But I want to say this, that it's a serious sin that aligns us with the work of darkness. It was a costly sin to the Israelites and should warn every one of us. The word grumble means to murmur or speak complaints under your breath against someone or something. And someone even said that grumbling comes from our agreement with something that is contrary to God's will. It's a symptom of faithlessness. And so our mouth declares our agreement with hopelessness. Scary words. Proverbs 18 verse 21 says that life and death on the power of the tongue. And so we need to be very careful. Our complaints become negative prophecies over our lives and over our situations. In the, the book of Luke, chapter 18, there's the story of the persistent um, widow. And Jesus ends that parable with, with the verse in, in verse 8. says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? Paul writes to the Colossians. He says, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people. And I thought, have people heard of my faith? Have people heard of our faith as red pointers? Have they heard of our faith? I believe some have, but I believe too that we can always do better. You can see a person who has faith and a person who is positive in, in every situation. And I just want to commend you, John, my brother John, <laughs> John Rob as they call him. <laughs> John is one of the most positive people I know. He is always looking for the good in another person, always opening his home. Always got something good to say. You very, very rarely hear him complain. So if you want to be blessed, spend some time with him. Or if you want to be really blessed, spend some time with Jesus. We need to do some preparation. John the Baptist prepared for the Lord Jesus. And he said these words, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled. The mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened. And the rough place is made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. What are the things this year that we need to clear? What are the rough places in your life that we need to smooth out so that people can see the Lord's salvation? In Second Kings chapter 3, um, there are different translations on the scripture, and they, they don't all say the same thing, but the one that I found, because they're very close, says, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of trenches, for thus says the Lord, you will not see the wind or the rain, yet the valley will be filled with water, so you and your cattle and other animals may drink. So there's a preparation here. He's told, listen, dig trenches. Make the trenches deeper, because there's water coming that's going to water your crops and water your cattle, and the prophetic word here was that you dig the trenches, that you make room for God's blessing to come. Not by rain or wind or anything else, that you won't see the rain. You won't see it, but what will happen is you will receive this blessing, but there's a preparation that needs to happen. And so a farmer sows seeds in faith. He doesn't know how that thing grows. Somebody might know, but he doesn't know. And we do things by faith. We worship in faith. We pray in faith. We speak in faith. And we put, put action to that faith. We do these things that we can be prepared for God's blessing to come. And... Um, 
If you, you, God needs to pour out his wine, we need a wineskin. Our wineskin needs to be ready to receive the wine of the, from the Lord. And if it's not ready, we're going we're gonna to miss out. I mean, can you imagine a person coming to you that's very, very thirsty and they're carrying a bucket and say, please, can I have a bucket of water? Yes, of course, I'll fill your bucket with you. You look inside the bucket and there's a big hole. Do you start just pouring water? No. You need to fill the hole. Unfortunately, many times, we are like, just pour water so fast that it doesn't matter how fast it runs out, I'll still have water. No. I don't believe the Lord works like that. He wants us to fix those holes, prepare the way for the Lord. And so I want to encourage you with that. Look at your life. Evaluate your life, even tonight, this afternoon. And Lord, what are the things that need to change in my life? What are the things that are hindering your journey of blessing into my life? What are the the things that, that I have that are wrong that need to be sorted out? And then do that. And decide to do that this year. Is that good? There was a man that complained to his pastor that he didn't read his Bible because it interfered with his work. So the pastor said to him, what work do you do? He said, I'm a pickpocket. (laughs) So the Bible wasn't just given to increase your knowledge, but it was given to transform you. It was given to change your life. The Bible's aim is to point you to Christ. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3 verse 15, the scriptures make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. To make you wise for salvation, to know how to be saved. Martin Luther said, the Bible is the cradle in which Jesus lies. Every word rings of Christ. Remember in the book of Revelation, there's the letter to the seven churches and to each one, the Lord says to him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. What is the Spirit saying to you? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes this, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. They will turn their ears away from the truth. The Lord tells us in Revelation, listen carefully for the truth. But people have, people have decided to turn away. I believe that many times the reason that they decided that is because they don't value the foundation on which we are called to build our lives. When we value this foundation, we will do what it says. I think about a mechanic that works with a manual. Spencer's a mechanic. Works, with a, works on cars with a, a manual, and he needs to know what the next point is. If he's assembling something, he's never done it before, he has to do it. Otherwise, things will go wrong. Puts the whole engine together, and the last thing it says, put oil in the engine. He said, no, nah, don't worry about that. This thing's been engineered by master engineers it doesn't need oil and the rest is history (laughs) just like that engine so what are we listening to are we listening to God's wisdom and his word are we listening to his commands Psalm 119 verse 95 and 96 from the message says the wicked lie in the ambush to destroy me but I'm only concerned with your plans for me I see the limits to everything human. I see the limits to everything human, but the horizons can't contain your commands. So I want to encourage you. Trust God's word. Say yes to Jesus. His commands are there to protect you. So this year, do something different. 
Stop waiting for someday to come around to live a meaningful, deep life in Christ. Step into that unique story that Christ has for you. Go on a faith venture this year. Book that mission trip. Invite that person to dinner. Have a coffee with someone. Make that phone call. Join that prayer group. Organize that prayer walk. Visit that elderly person. Buy that gift for someone. Pay for someone's groceries. Send that encouraging notes. Provide that meal. Babysit that child. Support that missionary financially or through regular communication. Donate those clothes or those blankets. Get involved in that prison ministry. Help with the park run. Teach someone a skill. Foster that child or just put your arm around someone and tell them that you believe in them and that you are there for them. Let's stand. Can I hand over to you, Chris? Thank you, Dave. Well done. Great word. I'm sure there's many nuggets there for everyone from um, just the vast that Dave's spoken about. But I have a confession. I woke up this morning and I was like, thank you, Lord, that 2023 is done. Uh, I wasn't, maybe I should spend some more time with John. But, um, but I, I did. And I, and I sat there and I just thought, shoof. And then I thought, actually, let me just take a sec. A, a couple of weeks ago, I preached about counting your blessings one by one. Um, and just name them, and, and you'll, you'll be surprised at how much the Lord has done. And I just started doing that. I thought, oh, okay, that happened this year, this happened this year. I thought, oh, okay, it actually hasn't been as bad as I, th- I thought it was. But, um, but we need those moments where we just can take stock, and I think Dave's just helped us to do that. Actually, take stock of the year. You can remember it. You can be thankful for it. And I just began to be thankful for the different things that happened. And, uh, and, and I, what I, one of my favorite prayers, and I think probably one of the greatest gifts of the gospel, is every morning you can wake up. Every morning. You want your water, Dave? You can wake up and you can choose to live radically for Jesus today. No matter how bad the day before was. I think that's incredible. And this morning, uh, I just remember that scripture again. And it's probably one that I prayed the most. And it says, His mercy is on you every morning. Every morning. Which means today, you can choose to live radically for Jesus. Regardless of what's happened in your past. Isn't that incredible? This, this year, no matter how bad this year has been, you can choose. You can make a choice this morning. His mercy is on you. You can look to Jesus. You can say, Lord, this hasn't been great, but I'm choosing this morning to live radically for you. And Dave's helped us with that. He's given us some, some pointers. He's given us some ways that we can look into the new year with faith. But you've got to make that choice. And you've got to say, actually, today, Lord, I'm going to choose to live radically for you. I'm going to give everything to you again. Part of what I did is I just said, Lord, I, I, want to, I want to live more radically for you than I have before. Today, I want to live more radically. And tomorrow when you do that, you say that again, I want to live more radically for you today than I did yesterday. What happens, you get to the end of the year and you've given your whole life to Christ for that year. Isn't that beautiful? It's actually a, it's a prayer of repentance. That's what, I, that's what it is. It's, it's saying I, I, I turn away from yesterday and what I've done, and I'm turning towards you and today and living radically for you. Isn't that beautiful? And today can be that moment for you. You can choose to say, Lord, I'm, I'm putting what was behind me behind, and I'm going to choose again to live radically for you. And there's a beautiful song that we're going to sing now, and it's called, I, I Will Build My Life on Christ, on the Word, on, on His truths. I will build my life on Jesus. And this can be a moment of repentance for you. And I just want to invite the parents with kids. I know sometimes it's a long morning. If you need your kids to blow off some energy, they can come to the front, they can dance, they can sing to Jesus if you'd like them to. But so we're going to go into a song. Tools, go for it.